song every week, okay? I could sing that every week. Just love that song because it exalts his name. Hmm. Opens God's, open God's words with me to Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapters 4 and 5, we've looked at some of Satan's tools that he uses to try to destroy the church. He used religious persecution. Peter and John healed the lame man on the way into the temple. Sanhedrin called him in, threw him in jail, and they said, don't do that anymore. They kept doing it. And so the Sanhedrin called all the apostles back in, threw them in jail, and then beat them. Said, don't do that anymore. Fortunately, they chose as we should choose. They chose that they would rather obey God than man. And we need to live like that. That we would rather obey God than man. In chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, another one is used by Satan or hypocrisy to try to break down and destroy the fellowship of the church. They thought it was about them. It's not. Guess what? It's not about you either. And it's not about me. It is all about him. I almost feel like we should sing Jesus Messiah again right now. (laughs) Because it is about Him. And then in chapter 6, over the last couple weeks, we've we've looked at the first seven verses. And he, Satan, would use and pull out his toolbox and use squabbling of the saints to try to tear down the church. But God has His tools that he uses as well. And last week we looked at it specifically in verse 4, and we mentioned it again already, that we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. That's what the apostles sought to do. They didn't want to be distracted by serving tables. Is there anything wrong with serving the tables? Absolutely not. And in this passage we know that in the Greek, and I'll take the experts at their word, there is nothing in the Greek language in this, in this text that indicates that the ministry of the Word is more important than the ministry of serving tables. The ministry that God gives you to give to the body of Christ is what is important for you to accomplish and to do. We all have different gifts. Therefore, we're going to have different ministries. But the important thing is that we are responsible for the gifts that He has given us and we use them for His name, for His glory, in His body. We looked at Matthew 23 last, or Matthew 13, excuse me, last week. The parable that the wheat was sown and the enemy came in and sowed the tares. And do we, do we pull out the tares and the master said, no, leave them. And when, when the time comes, when the harvest comes, the tares will be set aside and burned. Then there was the example of the fishermen. Had a great catch, but they had to sit there and throw away the bad fish and keep the good fish. In that we know that Satan has his agents in the church that he will use, he will use believers people He will use born-again believers to accomplish His works. 
That's that spiritual warfare that we fight in Ephesians 6. Turn there with me, if you would, for just a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. I usually do that. I'm looking at my notes now saying, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be here yet, but we're here. So Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist the devil in the, excuse me, that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore. And I'm going to stop right there. We need to protect ourselves with the word of God so that we can stand firm. Satan, what, what does Satan hate the most? Number one thing Satan hates the most. Go ahead. Our testimony. And, and, and in that testimony, and, and I know I'm looking for the exact right words, and you know, you got one in a million chance of hitting exactly what I want, but that is part of it. That is part of what I'm looking for. There's nothing more than Satan hates is for God's name to be exalted. And his name is exalted in our testimony. His name is exalted when another one comes to him. Satan can't stand it when we worship God and exalt Him and lift His name and praise His name and focus our lives on Him. Drives Satan bonkers. He knows he's already lost the war, but he's going to try to win a battle or a skirmish here and there. And if he can tear down the church of God, if he can be smirched, if he can in any way, shape, or form cause there to be division or dissent in the body, he feels like he's got a victory. Because he knows he's already lost the war. We can't let Satan have any victories in the church. Because then that tarnishes the name of Jesus Christ. Satan hates to see God exalted. We need to stand firm. And, and is and again I'm getting ahead of myself, but part of it's part of us next week too, and or excuse me, in two weeks when we get to chapter seven, and and Stephen's defending himself in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of the council, and and he's going to preach to them, and he's going to teach them, and the one thing that that we see in Stephen is that he gets it, he understands that his battle is not with the Sanhedrin or the council. His battle is against Satan. The battle is against Satan and what he is trying to accomplish in this world. But we can't give him that victory. We need to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Christ crushed Satan's head. And and I know that's his place to do that, but maybe he lets us kick it a little bit every time we worship God and exalt his name. Because Satan has already gone down to defeat. He's lost the war. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is risen. Okay, that was kind of half-hearted. He is risen. He is risen. 
Amen and amen. He has risen. He has victory. Death has no more sting. Death has no victory over us. It doesn't, folks. It doesn't. Don't give it that sense. Don't let it have that place in your heart. Because if you know Jesus Christ, it's got no place in your heart. Do we mourn? Do we, do we miss? Yes, we love, we have emotions, we have memories that will hurt. But the sting is not there. There is no victory in death. Because Christ is risen. Two things, two statements I want you to remember to, for today's message. Write it down and it's going to apply next week. I mean, this, this should apply to your whole life forever. But, you know, specifically in Acts, this, these are two statements that, that apply. That had the Pharisees got it, they would have been a lot better off because they never got it. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. And the second statement is, Jesus was the fulfillment of the temple. If you can understand those two, you're ahead of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrins with all their PhDs and smart degrees that they thought they were so smart. But they didn't have it in their heart. So it didn't matter. Doesn't matter what you hang on the wall. Any old parchments with, you know, Gamaliel's calligraphy signature, whatever. Who cares? They didn't get it and they didn't understand it. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and Jesus was the fulfillment of the temple. Stephen faced a system that had grown cold. Israel wanted to ensure God's presence by enshrining it and in doing that they forfeited God's blessing and power. They, they, their thought, and we'll see more of this in two weeks when, when Stephen's defending, their, their thought was if, if God doesn't dwell here in this temple, then, then we're a farce. And we can't have that. They, they, they worship the fact of the temple and the law. They did not worship the one who gave the law and who was the temple. They did not worship him. They worshiped the fact of. They worshiped the temple. They, they worshiped, uh, in, in one, one thing in America that we, we struggle with is so many people worship the building. And, and you can thank my wife too for sparing you this. I would play that video every Sunday morning that says the church is not a building. The church is the people. And until we really realize that, we're not going to be accomplishing God's will in Newberry that he wants us to accomplish. This, this building is just a building. There is nothing holy about it. What's holy is the temple of the living God, which is you or me if we know Jesus Christ. He indwells and lives within us. So they thought if God's not here in our temple, then our religion is a fraud. We can't have these guys spouting this all over. People are going to see right through us. Bambufu. I'll give you that word another time. That's Rwandan, by the way. That's from Rwanda. They did not comprehend. They did not understand. 
Religion is man's attempt to control God. They said, God, we'll, we'll worship, we'll worship the way we want to, and, and you should get on board with us because we're doing it right. That's what religion is. Down, down through the, the history of the church. Started in Isaiah 1. But it comes to in Matthew 20, not Matthew 23. Matthew 26. Sorry, don't have, uh, no, it is Matthew 23. <clears throat> if I could just read my notes. Christ called the Pharisees the whitewashed tombs, the whitewashed sepulchers. They were clean and white and looked pretty on the outside. But in their hearts, they were dirty and had the stench of death. You're, you're whitewashed sepulchers. You're, you're, you, you want to worship the system and not the one who created the universe. You need to, you need to worship the creator, not what he created. Don't worship the law. And don't worship the temple. Those are just things to lead you to Him. He was the fulfillment of both. In the 15th century, the Church of Rome set up the the sale of indulgences. Basically, you can buy your salvation. God gave us men to call us back to the Scripture and Martin Luther. And with all the forms of, of Lutheranism that there is out there now, Martin would be, and, and, and what they're teaching in his name would really roll over in his grave. As would John Calvin with all the brands of Calvinism. The, the fire that they had in their heart for the Word is what these people are worshiping. They're not worshiping God. They're not worshiping the Word. They're worshiping the people that God sent to give them that Word and the memory of their fire in their hearts without having fire in their own hearts. The Methodist. Worship more of John Wesley than they do the Word. Because it's a system that they want to hold in place. without They don't stay true to the Word of God. And they would rather worship the memory of that man, again, than the Creator, who is the fulfillment of, of the law and the fulfillment of the temple. Stephen was troubled by this. He was troubled by his system because his life was based on a life that worshipped Christ and that had the Holy Spirit in him. He celebrated a life that had life in it. These systems are dead because they don't worship Jesus Christ. Stephen had a relationship with God. He walked with God. If in uh, Acts chapter six, we saw that when when they were picking the the deacons or, or the okay, they're not called deacons here. I shouldn't use that term yet. That the, the, that they called the seven to serve the tables. Select from you verse three: seven men of good report, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. So this, the fact that he was chosen from that, no, we know that he had the good, the good reputation horizontally, and he had the good relationship vertically with God because he was full of the Spirit. And who does wisdom come from? God. So if he was full of wisdom, he was obviously in a relationship with God. And then we get down to, to verse 8, our scripture for today. Stephen was full of grace and power, performing wonders and signs among the people. 
Let's read 8 through 15 of of chapter 6. Stephen was full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from that the, the synagogue that was called the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. And yet they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with what she was speaking. <laughs> That's kind of funny. They secretly, um, yeah, verse 11, they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words about Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. Remember the council? That was the 70 judges of the Sanhedrin, as well as the inner court and the outer court judges, and there was 23 in each of them, so we come to a total of 116 judges. When the whole council meets, they're looking, they're looking to kill somebody. They put forward, because they needed approval of all three branches to do it, they put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against the holy place and the law. That was their God right there, the temple and the law. For we, at verse 14, for we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us and fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. I'm looking for my one verse and I'm not finding it. Stephen was full of grace and full of power. He, he, he was a deacon that was given the assignment of, of, of serving tables. And he was faithful to that small task that was given him. And so the Lord chose to use him for bigger things. And we'll see later that Philip was too, and they're the first two named in verse 5 of the seven that were chosen. But Stephen is, is in, the, in the synagogue defending his faith. And they were asking him questions and arguing with him, and they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. I don't care if it's the rest of the morning, i got to find this verse. <laughs> Sorry, give me just a second. Hate when this happens. Okay, I think I got it. I know some of you are praying. Pastor would hurry up and find that verse. Thank you. There we go. Jesus is talking to the disciples. Luke twenty-one fifteen. 
for I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. I'm going to back up a couple of verses. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you to the synagogue. And this is exactly what's happening to Stephen. And prisons bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Look for the opportunities, even in, in trials. So make up your minds not to prepare for beforehand to defend yourselves, because I will give you the utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. Hallelujah. He's got our back. He will be there with us. And they were not able to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. He was speaking through the Holy Spirit, the power given to him, and uttering the words that Christ gave him to speak. And when things, they start out with theological arguments, and when things don't go good, they start slinging mud. They start telling lies about him. They said, he said this and he said that. He's, he's blaspheming. And they're the ones that have it all backwards. They're the ones screwing it up. He hadn't spoke blasphemy at all. They, they did hear Jesus talk about the temple was going to be destroyed, but he, he, he would raise it up in three days. They just didn't have the comprehension and understanding that he was talking about himself. That it was him that was going to raise up in three days the true temple. So they stirred up the people. That's what they always do, right? Start a riot. If you if you can't win your point, if you can't win the day, start a riot. Scriptural, it's right here. It's what they did. This man incessantly speaks. I, I, I love that, 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 that they use the word incessantly in their charges against him because in verse 7 we have incessant. The word of God kept on incessantly spreading and the number of disciples incessantly continued to increase. Praise the Lord. Because they incessantly preached the word of God, the church continued to grow. And they want to now use that word against him. He's speaking against the holy place and the law, for we have heard him say, no, no, you're, you're misquoting. And, and we know that in our society, that never happens. Nobody ever misquotes anybody to win their point, right? We always tell the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Verse 15. <laughs> Fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. The, 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 the thing God was trying to get them to understand here, which I'm sure went right over their heads. Remember Moses when he got the law and he came down and he had a glow about him? Stephen's face looks just like Moses' did then. What makes you think that Stephen is tearing Moses down or anything about Moses or the law? I mean, they, they, they want us, they, and, and they will in chapter 7 more quote, you know, Moses, but basically it's the law. 
So, and, and what are our two phrases that we're going to remember? Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, and Jesus was the fulfillment of the temple. Jesus is the temple. And as, and as Stephen is standing defending the word of God, his face is glowing. That's pretty cool. God wants a relationship with you. He does not want your whitewashed religion. He does not want rote. He wants real. He wants a relationship with you. Because he died for you. And he has a plan for you. For those that want to dig deeper, write these references down. Matthew 26, 61. Matthew 12, 6. John 2, 20 and 21. Those have to do with the temple. And the law, Matthew 5, 17. These things that the Sanhedrin are accusing Stephen of blasphemy against these things. That will, those, those references will help give you the straight scoop, the truth, the real the real truth there. Jesus was and is the replacement of the temple. He was and is the fulfillment of the law. Next week we'll see, or two weeks we'll see Stephen defending it in chapter 7. And, and you'll, you'll, you'll do yourself, it, it, chapter 7 is not just a history lesson, although there's a lot of Jewish history there. You you got to look past the history lessons because there's some real there's some real meat there. Read read that, and you got two weeks to do it. Read chapter seven a couple times before two weeks from today, and remember that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, and Jesus was the fulfill and is the fulfillment of the temple. The Pharisees never got it. They never the Sanhedrin, the councils, they never figured it out because they were more concerned about their cold, dead religion than they were in having a relationship with Jesus Christ and living and serving on his terms rather than their own. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Stephen that stood firm, that testified of you, even even when the, the going was pretty rough. And it's going to get rougher, as we'll find in a couple weeks. Father, that you would consider us worthy to stand and defend the faith. That you would count us worthy to stand firm in Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, help us to do that. Help us to be true to you. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're just-